Chapter twenty three of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. The Slipperbox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three More Talk Between Young Moderns. When they met at dinner, they laughed outright at the sight of one another, a merry and shadowless laugh. For an instant, they looked like light hearted children. The change of Arnold's long, sallow face was indeed so noticeable that mrs marshall smith glanced sharply at him and then looked again with great satisfaction she leaned to sylvia and laid her charming white hand affectionately over the girl's slim strong tanned fingers it's just a joy to have you here my dear you're brightening us stupid bored people like fresh west wind she went on addressing herself to the usual guest of the evening isn't it always the most beautiful sight felix how the mere presence of radiant youth can transform the whole atmosphere of life i hadn't noticed that my radiant youth had transformed much commented arnold dryly and sylvia is only a year younger than i he was as usual disregarded by the course of the conversation yes sunshine in a shady place quoted Morrison, in his fine, mellow tenor, looking at Sylvia. It was a wonderful voice, used with discretion, with a fine instinct for moderation, which would have kept the haunting beauty of its intonations from seeming objectionable or florid to any but American ears. In spite of the invariable good taste with which it was used, American men, accustomed to the toneless speech of the race, and jealously suspicious of anything approaching art in everyday life, distrusted Morrison at the first sound of his voice. Men who were his friends, and there were many, were in the habit of rather apologizing for those rich and harmonious accents. The first time she had heard it, Sylvia had thought of the G-string of old Reinhardt's violin. I never in my life saw anything that looked less like a shady place, observed Sylvia, indicating with an admiring gesture the table before them, gleaming and flashing its glass and silver and close-textured, glossy damask up into the light. It's morally that we're so shady, said Arnold, admiring his own wit so much that he could not refrain from adding, Not so bad, what? The usual conversation at his stepmother's table was, as he would have said, so pestilentially highbrow that he seldom troubled himself to follow it enough to join in. Arnold was in the habit of dubbing highbrow anything bearing on aesthetics, and Mrs. Marshall Smith's conversational range hardly extended at all outside of aesthetics of one kind or another. Communication between these two housemates of years' standing was for the most part reduced to a primitive simplicity for which a sign language would have sufficed. Arnold's phrase for the situation was, I let Madrina alone, and she don't bother me. But now, seeing that neither the façade of Rouen nor the influence of Chardin on Whistler had been mentioned, his unusual loquacity continued. Well, if one west wind, I don't mean that as a slam on Sylvia for coming from west of the Mississippi, has done us so much good, why not have another? He inquired. Why couldn't Judith come on and make us a visit too? It would be fun to have a scrap with her again, he explained to Morrison. 
She's Sylvia's younger sister, and we have always quarreled so, as kids, that after we'd been together half an hour, the referee had to shoulder in between and tell us, Nick's unbiting in clinches. She was great, all right, Judith was. How is she now? he asked Sylvia. I've been meaning ever so many times to ask you about her, and something else has seemed to come up. I can't imagine Judy grown up. She hasn't pinned up that great long braid, has she, that used to be so handy to pull? Sylvia took the last of her soup, put the spoon on the plate, and launched into a description of Judith, one of her favorite topics. Oh, Judith's just fine. You ought to see her. She's worth ten of me. She has such lots of character, and handsome. You never saw anything like Judith's looks. Yes, she's put her hair up. She's twenty years old now. What do you suppose she does with her hair? She wears it in a great smooth braid all around her head. And she has such hair, Aunt Victoria. She turned from Arnold to another woman, as from someone who would know nothing of the fine shades of the subject. No short hairs at all, you know, like everybody else, that will hang down and look untidy. She pulled with an explanatory petulance at the soft curls which framed her own face, in an aureole of light. Hers is all long and smooth, and the color like a fresh chestnut, just out of the burr, and her nose is like a Greek statue. She is a Greek statue. She had been carried by her affectionate enthusiasm, out of her usual self-possession, her quick divination of how she was affecting everybody, and now suddenly finding Morrison's eyes on her with an expression she did not recognize, she was brought up short. What had she said to make him look at her so oddly? He answered her unspoken question at once, his voice making his every casual word of gold. I am thinking that I am being present at a spectacle which cynics say is impossible, the spectacle of a woman delighting, and with the most obvious sincerity, in the beauty of another. Oh, said Sylvia, relieved to know that the odd look concealed no criticism. I didn't know that anybody nowadays made such silly Victorian generalizations about women's cattiness. Anybody under old Mr. Somerville's age, that is. And anyhow, Judith's my sister. Cases of sisters jealous of each other's good looks have not been entirely unknown to history, said Morrison, smiling and beginning to eat his fish with a delicate relish. Well, if Judy's so all-fired good-looking, let's have her come on, Madrina, said Arnold. With her and Sylvia together, we crush Lydford into a pulp. He tacked his plate with a straggling fork, eating negligently, as he did everything else. She has a standing invitation, of course, said Mrs. Marshall-Smith. Indeed, I wrote the other day, asking her if she could come here, instead of to La Chance, for her vacation. It's far nearer for her. Oh, Judith couldn't waste time to go visiting, said Sylvia. I've told you she's worth ten of me. She's on the home stretch of her trained nurse's course now. She has only two weeks' vacation. She's going to be a trained nurse? asked Arnold in surprise, washing down a large mouthful of fish with a large mouthful of wine. What the dickens does she do that for? Why, she's crazy about it. Ever since she was a little girl, 
fifteen years old and first saw the inside of a hospital. That's just Judith, so splendid and purposeful and single-minded. I wish to goodness I knew what I want to do with myself half so clearly as she always has. If she had, deep under her consciousness, a purpose to win more applause from Morrison by more disinterested admiration of Judith's good points, she was quite rewarded by the quickness with which he championed her against her own depreciation. I've always noticed, he said meditatively, slowly taking a sip from his wine glass, that nobody can be single-minded who isn't narrow-minded, and I think it likely that people who aren't so cocksure what they want to do with themselves hesitate because they have a great deal more to do with. A nature rich in fine and complex possibilities takes more time to dispose of itself, but when it does, the world's beauty is the gainer. He pointed the reference, frankly, by a smile at Sylvia, who flushed with pleasure and looked down at her plate. She was surprised at the delight which his leisurely, whimsically philosophical little speech gave her. She forgot to make any answer, absorbed as she was in poring over it and making out new meanings in it. How he had understood at less than a word the secret uncertainty of herself which so troubled her, and with what astonishing sureness he had known what to say to reassure her, to make her see clear. And then her quick mind leapt to another significance. All during these past weeks, when she had been falling more and more under the fascination of his personality, when she had been piqued at his disregard of her, when she had thought he found her young and had bracketed her carelessly with Arnold, he had been, in reality, watching her. He had found her interesting enough to observe her, to study her, to have a theory about her character, and having done all that, to admire her as she admired him. Never in her life had she been the, the recipient of flattery so precisely to her taste. Her glow of pleasure was so warm that she suddenly distrusted her own judgment. She looked up at him quickly to see if she had not mistaken his meaning, had not absurdly exaggerated the degree to which he, she found his eyes on her, deep-set, shadowy eyes, which did not, as she looked up, either smile or look away. Under cover of a rather wrangling discussion between Arnold and his stepmother as to having some champagne served, the older man continued to look steadily into Sylvia's eyes with the effect of saying to her, gravely, kindly, intimately, Yes, I am here. You did not know how closely you have drawn me to you but here I am. Across the table, across the lights, the service, the idle talk of the other two, she felt him quietly, ever so gently, but quite irresistibly, open an inner door of her nature, and she welcomed him in. After dinner, when Mrs. Marshall Smith lifted her eyebrows at Sylvia and rose to go, Arnold made no bones of his horror at the prospect of a tete-a-tete -tete with the distinguished critic. "'Oh, I'm going in with you girls,' he said, jumping up with his usual sprawling uncertainty of action. 
he reserved for athletic sports all his capacity for physical accuracy. Morrison and I bore each other more than it's legal. I may bore you, my dear Arnold, said the other, rising, but you never bored me in your life, and I've known you from childhood. To which entirely benevolent speech, Arnold returned nothing but the uneasy shrug and resentful look of one baffled by a hostile demonstration too subtle for his powers of self-defense. He picked up the chair he had thrown over, and waited sulkily till the others were in the high-ceilinged living room before he joined them. Then, when Morrison, in answer to a request from his hostess and old friend, sat down to the piano and began to play a piece of modern, plaintive, very wandering and chromatic music, the younger man drew Sylvia out on the wide, moonlighted veranda. Morrison is the very devil for making you want to punch his head, and yet not giving you a decent excuse. I declare, Sylvia, I don't know but that what I like best of all about you is the way you steer clear of him. He's opening up on you, too. Maybe you didn't happen to notice. At the dinner table? It wasn't much, but I spotted it for a beginning. I know old Felix, a few. Sylvia felt uneasy at the recurrence of this topic, and cast about for something to turn the conversation. Oh, Arnold, she began rather at random, whatever became of Professor Saunders? I've thought about him several times since I've been here, but I've forgotten to ask you or Tantine. He was my little girl admiration, you know. Arnold smoked for a moment before answering. Then, well, I wouldn't ask Madrina about him, if I were you. He's not one of her successes. He wouldn't stay put. Sylvia scented something uncomfortable and regretted having introduced the subject. Arnold added thoughtfully, looking hard at the ash of his cigarette. I guess Madrina was pretty bad medicine for Saunders, all right. Sylvia shivered a little and drew back, but she instantly put the matter out of her mind with a trained and definite action of her will. It was probably horrid. Nothing could be done about it now. What else could they talk about? That would be cheerful. This was a thought sequence very familiar to Sylvia, through which she passed with rapid ease. Arnold made a fresh start by offering her his cigarette box. Have one? he invited her sociably. She shook her head. Oh, all the girls do, he urged her. Sylvia laughed. <laughs> I may be a fresh breeze from beyond the Mississippi, but I'm not so fresh as to think it's wicked for a girl to smoke. In fact, I like to, myself, but I can't stand the dirty taste in my mouth the next morning. Smoking's not worth it. Well, commented Arnold. Apparently he found something very surprising in this speech. His surprise spread visibly from the particular to the general like the rings widening from a thrown pebble, and he finally broke out. You certainly do beat the band, Sylvia. You get me. You're a sample of a piece of goods that I never saw before. What now? asked Sylvia, amused. Why, for instance, that reason for your not smoking. That's not a girl's reason. That's a man's. A man who's tried it. No, it isn't, she said the flicker of amusement still on her lips. A man wouldn't have sense enough to know that smoking isn't worth waking up with your mouth full of rents and fur. Oh, gosh, 
cried Arnold, tickled by the metaphor. Rancid fur. The point about me, why I seem so queer to you, explained Sylvia, brightening, is that I'm a State University girl. I'm used to you. I've seen hundreds of you. The fact that you wear trousers and have to shave and wear your hair cut short and smell of tobacco doesn't thrill me for a cent. I know that I could run circles around you if it came to a problem in calculus. Not that I want to brag. Arnold did not seem as much amused as she thought he would be. He smoked in a long, meditative silence, and when he spoke again, it was with an unusual seriousness. It's not what you feel or don't feel about me. It's what I feel and don't feel about you that gets me, he explained, not very lucidly. I mean, liking you so, without... I never felt so good about a girl. I like it. I don't make it out. He looked at her with sincerely puzzled eyes. She answered him as seriously. I think, she said, speaking a little slowly, I think the two go together, don't they? How do you mean? he asked. Why, it's hard to say, she hesitated but evidently not at all in embarrassment, looking at him with serious eyes, limpid and unafraid. I've been with boys and men a lot, of course, in my classes and in the laboratories and everywhere, and I've found out that in most cases, if the men and the girls really, really, in their own hearts, don't want to hurt each other, don't want to get something out of the other, but just want to be friends, why, they can be psychologists and all the bigwigs say they can't be i know but believe me i've tried it and it's awfully nice and it's a shame that everybody shouldn't know that lots of the time you can do it in spite of the folks who write the books maybe it wasn't so when the books were written maybe it's only going to be so later if we all are as square as we can be now but as a plain matter of fact in one girl's experience it's so now. Of course, she modified by a sweeping qualification, the audacity of her naively phrased, rashly innocent guess at a new possibility for humanity. Of course, if the man's a decent man. Arnold had not taken his gaze for an instant from her gravely thoughtful eyes. He was quite pale. He looked astonishingly moved, startled, arrested. When she stopped, he said, almost at once, in a very queer voice as though it were forced out of him, I'm not a decent man. And then, quite as though he could endure no longer her clear, steady gaze, he covered his eyes with his hand. An instant later, he had sprung up and walked rapidly away, out to the low marble parapet which topped the terrace. His gesture, his action, had been so eloquent of surprised, intolerable pain that Sylvia ran after him, all one quick impulse to console. "'Yes, you are, Arnold. Yes, you are,' she said in a low, energetic tone. "'You are!' He made a quavering attempt to be whimsical. "'I'd like to know what you know about it,' he said. "'I know, I know,' she simply repeated. He faced her in an exasperated shame. 
Why, a girl like you can no more know what's done by a man like me. His lips twitched in a moral nausea. Oh, what you've done, said Sylvia. It's what you are. What I am, repeated Arnold bitterly. If I were worth my salt, I'd hang myself before morning. The heartsick excitement of a man on the crest of some moral crisis looked out luridly from his eyes. Sylvia rose desperately to meet that crisis. Look here, Arnold, I'm going to tell you something I've never spoken of to anybody, not even mother, and I'm going to do it so you'll believe me when I say you're worth living. When I was eighteen years old, I was a horrid, selfish, self-willed child. I suppose everybody's so at eighteen. I was just crazy for money and fine dresses and things like that that we'd never had at home, and a man with a lot of money fell in love with me. It was my fault. I made him, though I didn't know then what I was doing, or at least I wouldn't let myself think what I was doing, and I got engaged to him. I got engaged at half-past four in the afternoon, and at seven o'clock that evening I was running away from him, and I've never seen him since. Her voice went on steadily, but a quick hot wave of scarlet flamed up over her face. He was not a decent man, she said briefly, and went on. It frightened me almost to death before I got my bearings. I was just a little girl, and I hadn't understood anything, and I don't understand much now. But I did learn one thing from all that. I learned to know when a man isn't decent. I can't tell you how I know. It's all over him. It's all over me. It's in his eyes, the way he stands, the expression of his mouth. I don't only see it. I feel it. I feel it the way a thermometer feels it when you put a match under the bulb. I know. She brought her extravagant, her preposterous, her ignorant, her incredibly convincing claims to an abrupt end. And you feel that I? began Arnold, and could not go on. I'd like you for my brother, she said gently. He tried to laugh at her, but the honest tears were in his eyes. You don't know what you're talking about, you silly dear, he said unsteadily, but I'm awfully glad you came to Lidford. With her instinct for avoiding breaks, rough places, Sylvia quickly glided into a transition from this speech back into less personal talk. Another queer thing about that experience I've never understood. It cured me of being so crazy about clothes. You wouldn't think it would have anything to do with that, would you? And I don't see how it did. Oh, I don't mean I don't dearly love pretty dresses. Now, I do. And I spend altogether too much time thinking about them. But it's not the same. Somehow, the poison is out. I used to be like a drunkard who can't get a drink. When I saw girls have things, I didn't. I suppose, she speculated philosophically, I suppose any great jolt that shakes you up a lot shakes things into different proportions. Say, that fellow must have been just about the limit. Arnold's rather torpid imagination suddenly opened to the story he had heard. No, no, said Sylvia. As I look back on it, I make a lot more sense out of it. She might have been by her accent, 
fifty instead of twenty-three. And I can see that he wasn't nearly as bad as I thought him. When I said he wasn't decent, I meant that he belonged in the Stone Age, and I'm twentieth century. We didn't fit together. I suppose that's what we all mean when we say somebody isn't decent, that he stayed behind in the procession. I don't mean that man was a degenerate or anything like that. If he could have found a Stone Age woman, he'd have... They'd have made a good Stone Age marriage of it. But he didn't. The girl he... Do you know, Sylvia? Arnold broke in wonderingly. I never before in all my life had anybody speak to me of anything that really mattered. And I never spoke this way myself. I've wanted to, lots of times, but I didn't know people ever did. And to think of its being a girl who does it for me. A girl who... His astonishment was immense. Look here, Arnold, said Sylvia, with a good-natured peremptoriness. Let a girl be something besides a girl, can't you? But her attempt to change the tone to a light one failed. Apparently, now that Arnold had broken his long silence, he could not stop himself. He turned towards her with a passionate gesture of bewilderment and cried, Do you remember, before dinner, you asked me as a joke what was the use of anything, and I said I didn't know? Well, I don't. I've been getting sicker and sicker over everything. What the devil am I here for, anyhow? As he spoke, a girl's figure stepped from the house to the veranda, from the veranda to the turf of the terrace, and walked towards them. She was tall and strongly, beautifully built. Around her small head was bound a smooth braid of dark hair. She walked with a long, free step and held her head high. As she came towards them, the moonlight full on her dark, proud, perfect face, she might have been the youthful Diana, but it was no antique spirit which looked out of those frank, fearless eyes. And it was a very modern and colloquially American greeting, which she now gave to the astonished young people. Well, Sylvia, don't you know your own sister? And hello there, Arnold. Why, Judith Marshall, cried Sylvia, falling upon her breathlessly. However in the world did you get here? Arnold said nothing. He had fallen back a step and now looked at the newcomer with a fixed, dazzled gaze. End of chapter 23